Here's another Bible study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. All right, 2 John, and I titled this Walking in Truth and Love. And so if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to 2 John, it's real easy to find. It's between 1st and 3rd John, so let's just I just, you know, give you a little hint of where to find it, but all right, Second John. And, you know, John, and the letters that were written in these, you know, in the New Testament time, they always started with a greeting first. And, uh, you know, we usually, we say, dear so-and-so, and we write the letter, and then we send, you know, sincerely, and we put our name. And this one, the, the letters that were written those days always started with who wrote it, and then who it was written to. And, uh, and so the greeting, which is in verses 1 through 3, reads this. The elder to the elect lady and her children, excuse me, or bless you, I should say, (laughs) (laughs) to the lady and the elect, uh, to the, excuse me, the elder to the elect lady and her children. We know that the elder is John the Apostle himself. And uh, so if you think of it, he describes himself as the elder. John would have been somewhere, they figure, he's between 90 and 100 years old. So he is by age an elder for certain, certainly uh, an elder. I don't think he retired from the ministry. That's kind of an interesting thing. But so his age makes him the elder. But then if you think about it as well, by this time that he wrote this epistle, he was the only living disciple of Jesus Christ. The only living one. All the other ones had been martyred for their faith. And they tried to martyr John, but they didn't succeed in it. Um, And so John is the last of the living apostles. Can you imagine what it would be like to come and hear the Apostle John speaking. Hey, he was the one that leaned on Jesus' breast and said, you know, who's betraying you? He's the one that was on the Mount of Transfiguration that saw Jesus transformed in in glory there. He's the one, you know, one of the ones that saw Jesus being resurrected from the dead. He was there at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down and descended upon the apostles gathered there. He's one of the, well, he would have been the last living connection to those events. I, I, just, I just put myself in, in, in those boots of like, man, I would love to have been sitting under John's teaching. But we have this epistle that was written too from John. And it's written to this church, of course, or this lady. We'll, well, I'll get into that in a minute. But it's also written to you and I by the Holy Spirit. And so from the elder to the elect lady and her children. Uh, We don't know who that person is or people are. Uh, It's kind of interesting. I was kind of digging into that a little bit. And there are some people that think that this is a woman by the name of Electa Curia. And the reason why they say that is that's the Greek, elect lady. That's the Greek words, elect, uh, Electa Curia. So they think maybe it was written to an individual by that name. I don't hold to that myself. Um, I don't know that too many people do. Another interpretation of who the select lady and her children are is that it's a church and that the children are members of a church. And then as we get down to the end of the epistle, there's the the, uh, children of your elect sister greet you. And so the people that say, well, this must be a church, then this sister, the children of the sister would be like a sister church that kind of fellowship together. And that's a possibility. In fact, that's kind of the way I always kind of looked at it, but I don't know. I'm, I wasn't there, so I can't tell you. 
Other people think that it was an actual lady who is unnamed. And there's good reason to believe that as well, because at the end of the first century, there was a lot of persecution for Christians. And so, uh, and based on verse 10, it's quite possible that a church met in this lady's home. And so if it is written to a person and there's persecution going on, John could have just kind of written it kind of so that they wouldn't know, the persecutors wouldn't know exactly where this house church was, so to speak. That's a, that's a very good possibility. Again, we don't really know or not. But whether it's a church or a specific woman, John knows who they are or who, who she is. It says, to the, uh, the elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. So John had to have known them, whether, again, whether it's a church or an individual in her family. Let me ask you this rhetorically. Can you say that you love your brother and sister in Christ in truth? What does John mean? I, I love you in truth. What does it mean to love in truth? I think we get a clue in Peter's epistle, 1 Peter Chapter 1, verse 22, he says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Love one another fervently and with sincere love. Sincere, of course, it means unfeigned. It means genuine. In other words, you're not forcing it or faking it. You know, sometimes we come to church and we've got this smile on our face, but maybe inside we're seething or something. So sincere, genuine love. And then he says, love one another fervently. That word fervently, it comes from a Greek word that has kind of three different definitions. One of them means to love continually. In other words, you don't give up loving somebody. You're faithful even to a fault. You know, one of the things that, if I was to be accused of anything, I would much rather be accused of being too loving. Even when maybe you said you shouldn't be loving this person or whatever, I'd rather be accused of being too loving than not being loving, love, or being accused of not loving enough. I, I'd rather go, I, you know, when it comes to grace, I'd rather err on the side of grace. I'd rather err on the side of mercy than not having enough mercy or not having enough grace. So to love continually... Fervently means to love continually. It also means to love intensely. And that means not half-hearted, not paying lip service. In fact, it even means pursuing love, to love intensely. And it also means to love intently. And, you know, one of the things that's kind of a struggle, I think we all struggle with this, is sometimes I don't feel like loving an individual you know, it's like they, they, they've rubbed me the wrong way. I don't, I don't feel like loving them. Well, to love intently means to perp, just decide, I'm going to love that person because I'm called to. Because Jesus did the same to me. And so it's not a feeling, it's a determination. In fact, that's what agape love is, right? Agape love is loving without even expecting anything in return. Loving even the unlovable. We were unlovable and Jesus Christ loved us, died on the cross for us. So to love continually, to love intensely, and to love intently. That's what fervently means. And then he says, with a pure heart. And with a pure heart means just a clean heart. 
In other words, you're not harboring resentment, you're not harboring unforgiveness, and you're certainly not wishing evil on a person to love with a pure heart. And then John continues and says, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. And I love these greetings. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. See, not only did John love the elect sister and her children, but he said also all those who have known the truth. What, is, what does he mean? All those who have known the truth. Well, we know God's word is true. God's word is truth. John 17, 17, Ephesians 1, 13, 2 Timothy 2, 15, and I could keep going on. God's word is truth. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is the truth. John 14, 6, Ephesians 4, 21. And he's also given us the spirit of truth. John 14, 17, John 15, 26, John 16, 13, and you could go on and on. So those who have known the truth, what he's referring to is those that have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They've read the Bible. They believe God's word. They've come to know that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and they've given their lives to him. And once you become a born-again believer, you receive the Holy Spirit. So they have the, the spirit of truth dwelling inside of them. So he's referring to born-again believers, like you and I here gathered this morning. Those who have a relationship with Christ, the body of Christ, and the abiding truth that is in us is the basis for your and my fellowship with one another. Now, when John is talking about truth, you know, he's not merely talking about like an intellectual assent uh, to a doctrine. You know, in other words, you know, um, I, I believe these points in Scripture and, you know, I'm, 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 I believe them, they're true, and, you know, it's, a, it's like just an assent or an agreement. I agree with these truths in Scripture. It's not being, uh, excuse me, not being doctrinally cor correct. Although, having said that, that is one aspect of truth, sincerely, obviously. But what John is talking about, and what will be kind of the theme in here, is walking in truth. Walking in truth means living in truth. Let me, let me just kind of, let's just kind of camp there for a minute. Speaking of truth. You know, the Bible teaches you and I that we're saved by grace through faith. You can't earn your salvation. Grace is God's unmerited favor towards us. Grace is giving someone something that they don't deserve. We don't deserve salvation. God gave us salvation through Jesus Christ. That's God's grace upon us. And that's a true doctrine. And I believe it. And if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, I hope that you believe that. I hope that you understand that and you agree with that, that we're saved by grace. There are some people that think we're saved by works. But that's not what the Bible teaches. We're saved by grace through faith. So it's a true doctrine. But that doesn't necessarily mean living or walking in grace. Because what I think John is talking about is when you and I, we experience God's grace played out in our lives. And I don't know about you, but I can tell you in my life, 
I've seen God's grace over and over and over again. It's, it's amazing. Amazing grace, you know, it's, and it's unending. It just fathoms me. I'm like, if I was God, I wouldn't have enough grace for me. <laughs> but God does. So as we experience the truth of God's grace in our lives, we're living in that because we, we're, we're experiencing it. It's part of our, our lives. And the more the truth of God's grace is realized by you and I, the more we want to extend that same grace to each other. It's, it's just a natural byproduct. In fact, people that don't extend grace to other people, I don't, think they really, I don't think they really have an appreciation of how much grace has been extended to them. I really don't think so. I, th- I think they haven't really, really uh, uh, got a good understanding of it. Have you ever noticed when someone comes across something that really impacts their lives, they can't shut up about it? Or, you know, they're just excited. I don't say shut up. That should sound bad. But I had a friend, and uh, he's still a friend. <laughs> uh, I don't know why, but that's grace, I guess. No, I'm just kidding. I, I have a friend, and uh, one time he went into the hospital, and he had cellulitis in his legs. And it was pretty serious. Serious enough that he had to go to the emergency room. They actually admitted him in the hospital, and he got treated for it. I had no idea until he, he actually he came and visited. He would stop by every once in a while and bring Teresa and I coffee and just visit for a while in the mornings. And uh, at one of those mornings, he said, yeah, I just came out of the hospital and stuff. I'm like, wow. Well, it wasn't more than maybe a couple weeks later, he got cellulitis again. And his son told him about this turmeric uh, and, and turmeric and coconut oil uh, and pepper, black pepper mixture. It's called golden milk. And I don't know if you've ever tried it before, but he told me about it. He said the cellulitis was kicking in. I took this golden milk concoction for a few days, and the cellulitis went away. It's an anti-inflammatory. So I started mixing up. I got a little jar of this paste in my fridge and every once in a while I mix this up with milk and flavor and stuff. Anyways, he was really excited about this. You got to try this and stuff. Why? Because it impacted his life. He wanted everyone to experience it. That's the same with grace. When you've experienced God's grace and you have a full appreciation, man, you just want to share it with people. You want to be gracious because, man, God's been so gracious to me. Why can't I, how can I not be gracious towards someone else? Here's another truth. The Bible teaches that God is rich in mercy towards us. In fact, in Lamentations it says, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. The mercy of Christ. Mercy is a little different than grace. Grace is uh, getting what you don't deserve. I don't deserve salvation. You don't deserve salvation. But we're given salvation. Mercy is a little bit different. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. You know, I deserve to be sent to hell. But because of God's mercy, he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross. So mercy is not giving us the punishment we deserve. And we know that, right? Scripturally, that's a truth. It's a true doctrine. But again, if you have ever, ever had to cry out to God for mercy... And he, in his faithfulness and his love and his compassion, extends it to you day, day in and day out. Well, I can't help but be merciful to the people around me because his mercy has impacted me so much. 
The Bible also teaches us that we have peace with God through Christ Jesus. And that the peace of God passes, it passes understanding and, and guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. There's that peace that you and I have. You know, we might go through a terrible situation, maybe a, 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 a deathly illness or a death of a family member or some tragedy of some sort. And you and I as believers, man, we have, we have a peace. I, I could never define it to you. I can never say, well, it's this. I just, it's just there. And, and it, it's real. And I'm, I'm sure all of you know what I'm talking about. Again, God's peace through Christ Jesus, that's a true doctrine. But the more we experience God's peace, the more you and I want to pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which we may edify one another. We should pursue making peace with people around us. We should be peacemakers. And so we're not just to know the truth. I have this understanding. I know I'm saved by grace, you know, saved by faith, or excuse me, saved by grace through faith. I know that God has extended mercy to me. I know that I have peace with God through Christ Jesus. Those are all true, and we should know those doctrinally. But we're commanded to walk in the truth. In fact, if you look at 2 John's just 21 verses, truth is mentioned five times in those 21 verses. It's a significant theme in this epistle. So having gone through the greeting, we get to verse 4. And John says this, I rejoiced greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we receive commandment from the Father. And again, is he speaking about church members or is he speaking about some lady's actual children? I don't know. But in 3 John, he also says this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. You know, week in and week out, I'm preaching from the pulpit here. And I'm studying God's word. And, you know, it's an interesting thing if you've ever, if you've ever preached a message or taught a Bible study. You know, sometimes you have that conviction. It's like, you know, i got to be living it before I teach it. I mean, I, I don't want to just sit up there and say, spew things out of my mouth and it not be a reality in my own life. And so I'm teaching God's word. I'm asking, Lord... Let me rightly divide your word. I don't, want, I, don't want to, I don't want to misrepresent you. I don't want to say anything doctrinally incorrect. Lord, I want to be accurate. I want to be faithful to your word, your scriptures. And so I'm teaching, and you know, we just finished First John. Man, how, much time, how many times did John say, love one another? How many times? Over and over and over again. It really encourages me when I see it played out in your lives. When I see not only... You know, wow, that message had an. Im- I don't. You don't need to come up to me and say that was a really good message. I mean, I'm okay. I'm, you can. I'm not saying don't do it. But what really impacts me is when I see it played out in your life. That's when it really impacts. And I'm like, Lord, there's fruit. That's awesome. On the flip side of that, teaching love, 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 and not seeing it. Wow, talk about discouraging. That can discourage in a big, great way. So I completely. I can completely appreciate what John says here. I rejoice greatly that I've found some of your children walking in truth as received commandment from the Father. Verse 5, And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, 
that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. And so this is another commandment. It's not an optional thing. It's another command. And we are commanded to walk in love. In fact, love in these 21 verses is mentioned four times. So again, walking in truth and love. This is a significant theme of Second John. And it's not just knowing about love or even just experiencing the love of God in our own lives, but it's living it out in our relationships with one another. Surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ out of love, not out of obligation, and then in our relationship with one another. And we're to walk, which, you know, when it says to walk in love, really what it means is to live it in our daily lives. So we're to walk in truth and love. I just recently, maybe a month ago, met this guy that says, I run 100-mile marathons. I went, you got to be kidding me. I thought, he was, I thought he was making it up. I'm like, 100-mile marathons. And then... I went on a motorcycle trip with my son last couple weeks ago, and uh, we were up on top of this peak of this mountain um, looking down, or not looking down, but it was a peak above Salt Lake City, Utah. I mean, we were at this, at this peak, and we, we got up this windy, narrow road and stuff and get to the top, and there was this, a, la- a daughter and her, a mother and her daughter, and they said, hey, they said to Luke, my son, they said, would you take a picture of us? We're on a marathon. I'm like, wow, you're on a marathon. They ran all the way up the hill and then they ran all the way down. So I mentioned to them, I said, yeah, I just met a guy about a week ago that runs a 100-mile marathon. And they said, oh, yeah, we know people that do that too. They're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? And maybe, some, maybe somebody here has done that before. I don't know. But I can't imagine running a 100-mile marathon. In fact, I hate running. My, my, my brother and I, when, when I was in high school, he was just out of high school, um, but he was still living at home during the summer between college. He and I used to go run a mile at the local high school track. We would go at night, and we would just run it at night, like 10 o'clock at night. Nobody's out there. It was, it was kind of fun. It was a way that he and I kind of bonded during that time. And, uh, but that was a mile. I don't like running unless someone bigger than me is chasing me, and then it's like I can run, I can run pretty far pretty fast. But let me ask you this. How long can you run? Can you run indefinitely? I, I, I still can't fathom how this, I don't know how it works out if the guy takes breaks and it's, they, they add up 100 miles or if it's 100 miles at one stretch. But I don't think a person can run indefinitely. But walking, I can walk a long time. I may not be fast. I might walk slow. But I can walk quite a while. I might have to sit down every once in a while and give my feet a break or something like that. But I can walk, and I can walk a very long time. Walking in truth and love does not mean running in truth and love. You're going to burn out if you try to do that. But walking does imply movement. doesn't mean sitting on your duff and never growing and never changing. It means moving forward, making slow, steady progress. And so we are commanded to walk in love, in truth and love. An interesting thing is John doesn't say walk in truth and that's the end of the chapter. And he doesn't say walk in love and that's the end of the chapter. It's walk in truth and love because the two of those are inseparable. Listen, if you're fluent in truth, and I've known people that are fluent in truth, you know, I can share something, and I, I, I've, I've shared things before, and I've, I've not here, but I remember being a guest speaker at a church, and I taught this message, and 
this guy came up to me and just grilled me after the message. He was wanting to make sure I was doctrinally correct and everything, and he was fluent in truth. Um, I've had people that are fluent. They, they can speak truth and they know truth. Uh, they can spot truth. Man, they can spot it. they got an eagle eye, uh, and they speak truth. But sometimes they're unloving. Truth and love are not separate things. When you're unloving, then you're not walking in truth. You may know truth. You may even have experienced the truth of love, God's love, but I don't think you've apprehended it because you just intellectually know it. You're not, you're not walking in it. And so truth without love, it can make a person very harsh. It can make them very critical, judgmental, and above all, unapproachable. I don't want to go to somebody that's going to just nail me because I'm not, doctrine, you know, I'm not accurate on what or whatever. Truth without love makes us harsh and critical, judgmental. In fact, that's why Paul wrote in Ephesians 4.15 that we're to speak the truth in love with one another. But now there's a warning also. Don't love without truth. Because you see, we can go the other way too. We can love without truth. Love without truth is very dangerous. Why? Because it can cause us to be deceived very easily. We can allow things and we can allow people in into our relationships, into our lives that will move us away from a simple trust in Jesus Christ and him crucified. I don't ever want to, I don't ever want to move away from that. And that's why he says in verse 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. One of the things that John had to deal with in that day and in that age was a thing known as docetism. And I may not have been pronouncing it right, um, but what it means is that they believe that Jesus didn't really have a natural body, a physical body. He didn't actually come in the flesh. He just appeared to, in the flesh. But he wasn't really there. He was God, but he didn't appear in the flesh. And they denied that Jesus was born as a man to die for our sins as a man. And this was a real, this is one of the early heresies in the early church. Docetism, I think it was around the second century, it later gave rise to Gnosticism. You might be more familiar with Gnosticism. Gnosticism, that word, it comes from the Greek, means knowing. And what they believed was that salvation is through knowing, some secret understanding. It's like only a select few that have this understanding. They're the ones that are saved because they know this secret truth. You know, that, that's, that's the attitude, rather than the finished work of Christ on the cross. You know, it's fascinating to me. And I came across this as we were going through First John. Those early heresies... They weren't heresies where they said Jesus is God, he's not God. They didn't, they didn't deny his deity, but they denied his humanity. That just blows me away. Because today, it's just the opposite. People don't have any problem saying Jesus was a man that lived upon the earth, but they have a hard time that he's God. They struggle with his deity. So it's just, it's just the opposite, but they're both lies. In verse 7, talks about Jesus Christ coming in the flesh. Now I'm reading out a new King James. If you have the King James, I believe it's Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. I believe I don't have it written down here. But it's a little bit different verb tense. But from what I understand, the new King James version, the verb tense actually is more accurate. 
It's actually coming in the flesh. And so what it's referring to, of course, is Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, and that was dealing with docetism. He was fully God and yet born a man. He was fully man. But also that he's returning in the flesh as a man and yet glorified to return for his bride and also to reign and rule physically on the earth. And so he says, anyone who denies Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh is a deceiver and an antichrist. You notice it's an an antichrist, not the antichrist. There have been many antichrists, and there will continue to be many antichrists. Now, when you think of antichrist, you may think of it only as against, against Christ. And, and that's true. Anti is against or opposite of. You may think of, of course, we're very familiar lately with anti-vaxxers, <laughs> anti-maxxers, or maskers, you name it. You know, we're, we're familiar with that. It means that they're against. But that anti can also mean instead of. And that's where, that's where wisdom needs to come in because there are many people that want to introduce something instead of Christ. They're not full-blown out, you know, denying Christ, but it's just, it's just there's a little subtle thing that's going on there. When someone presents themselves or something instead of Christ, this is where deception comes in for an undiscerning, undiscerning believer. They may have love. They love, they love everybody, but they're lacking in truth. See, truth and love, they have to go together. You can't have one to exclusion of the other. They belong together. Verse 8, look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full re excuse me, but that we may receive a full reward. Now I mentioned earlier, you know, when I'm studying and I'm preparing during the week, I'm always praying and asking the Lord, Lord, I want to rightly divide your word. I don't ever want to misrepresent you. I know what you did to Moses. I don't want to do that, you know. Um, I, I just my mission is to disseminate the truth of God's word. But like I mentioned earlier, if I'm just teaching it, but I'm not practicing it, that just makes me a hypocrite. I come up here and tell you, you should do this, you should do it, and then you look at my life and go, yeah, but you're not doing it. Wow. And you, just hearing it without practicing it, the Bible says you're deceiving yourself. And you become a hypocrite also. You know, some people say, you know, I, I hate attending church because they're all hypocrites. And my response is, you're right, we're all hypocrites, and you're a hypocrite too. You can join us. We'll have a fellowship of hypocrites, you know. Hey, it's the truth. But John says, look to yourselves that you do not lose the things we work for, that we may receive a full reward. Listen, Satan is a murderer, he's a liar, and a thief. And he's only come to steal and to destroy. And so we have to be so careful with, with little subtle things because they're there purposely to steal, steal the joy that we have, the fellowship that we have, or to steal your firm foundation in Christ Jesus. I just finished reading Ecclesiastes. I want to just read a couple verses to you. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13 this is, you know, Solomon's kind of finishing up his, his, you know, his view on all these different things that are vanity. And so it's a fascinating book. But towards the end, he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God 
and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. And we just need to fear God and then just obey him. And then he says this, for God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And so back to verse 8, look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. We are going to be judged before Jesus Christ one day. You and I, we are all going to stand before Christ. Now, we're not going to be standing before God at the great white throne judgment. That is for the wicked. They're going to be judged, and if their name's not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they'll be cast into the lake of fire. That's that judgment. But you and I, we're going to stand before what's known as the judgment seat of Christ. And whatever, whenever you came to faith as a believer, whether as a little kid or maybe you always grew up in a home as a Christian home and at some point in your life you said, you know, I believe what my parents are living and I, I see them living it out and I believe it in my heart. I, I, and then you pray, you, you know, some, there are people, that's their testimony. I praise God for those testimonies. That's an awesome testimony. I just grew up in, in, in a Christian home and you know what, I, I, I just believe it. And it's, now it's my, part of my life. Others, man, they left, led a terrible life. And yet they've come to faith in Christ and they're transformed. Everything that you and I have done since we became believers in Jesus Christ, we're going to give an account for it. And it's not an account for a damnation because Jesus Christ already paid the price. But we are going to be given rewards. And those rewards, the Bible says, we, as we get these rewards, we're going to just throw the crowns. We're going to just throw them down at Christ's feet because he's so worthy. And, I, and I, I'm going to pray that I have a million crowns to throw to him because he's so worthy. I don't want to just have one crown. Well, here's my uh, Burger King thing, you know. Here, No, no, I want to have a bunch of crowns. And so we need to be careful that we don't lose the reward. Verse 9. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. And this is where people think that maybe this was a woman that had a Bible study or you know, a church that met in her home. Listen, the doctrine of Christ is the foundation of your and my faith. It's, it's, the, it's the bedrock foundation. John says, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. What does he mean, transgress? You know, just a sinner? I, hey, I sin. I hate to break it to you, but I sin. Is he referring to that? Transgress means to go past, to overstep, or to violate. So when he's talking about transgressing the doctrine of Christ... It means going beyond the doctrine of Christ. And that's where the heresy, that's where it slips in. Where people will say, you know, his atoning sacrifice, it's good, we need it, but it's not just that. You also need this extra ministry. Be careful when someone says that to you. Or you need this additional deliverance. Be very careful with those or you need to take these extra steps in order to be saved. You need to be part of this, of this group, or you need to do this. Or you need to... It's Jesus Christ and him crucified, man. Keep it simple. Keep it simple in your faith. If anyone comes to you 
and does not bring this doctrine, our bedrock foundation in Christ Jesus. Do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Don't participate with, do not partner with anyone who does not confess the simple foundation of the finished work of Christ on the cross. And John even says, don't even invite them in. Don't bless them in the name of the Lord. We need to be careful, folks. We are to be loving. Okay, because we can go to the other side and we can become so, you know, it's just, uh, you know, Calvary Chapel, he says, it's just Calvary Chapel and the Baptist church down there, they're heretics and, you know, the, the other, uh, I don't know what church it is up here, the road, they're heretics, you know, we're the truth. We only, we're, we're it, you know, we, we've got the monopoly on truth. We don't have the monopoly on truth, folks. <laughs> I don't have the monopoly on truth. I don't have the monopoly on my full understanding of Scripture. Some of you could probably teach us better than I could this morning. We're to be loving and not become cynical of everyone, judgmental, and really what it boils down to is spiritually prideful. We're not to do that. But we're also not to be accepting of everything and everyone. And I tell you, this is a tough thing. It's a balancing act. It really is. I think as we get closer and closer to the last days, I think it's going to be that much more subtle, that much more we really got to be careful what we are, who are we listening to, what we're participating with. But you know, we've been given the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth can guide us through these things. And we need to be filled with and led by the Holy Spirit. We need to be in the God's Word, reading His Word, knowing God's Word. We're to be spending time in His presence, knowing the heart of God. You know, the more you know the real thing, the more you can spot the fake stuff. And so it's so important for you and I to do that. I think of John, again, the apostle, the elder. This old man, you know, he's been through a lot in his life. He's writing this epistle, saying that we need to walk in truth and to walk in love. But you know, that's not how he started out his life, at least in the scriptures that we read. Him and his brother James, Jesus had a nickname for him. He called them the sons of thunder. Why? Because they wanted to call down fire on a Samaritan village that didn't, you know, didn't allow them in. And they were just like, he was all truth and no love. And as he spent more and more time with Jesus Christ and he saw Jesus die on the cross for his sins and all the sins of the world and then rise again from the dead and then he got filled with the Holy Spirit, man, he was a changed person. He didn't give up the truth. He didn't didn't deny the truth, but he tempered it with love. And so that is so important for me. For me? I'm sorry. It's important for me. I'm just looking out at the rain because I rode a motorcycle here today. I'm like, oh. I have a way of just timing things perfectly. Anyways. I got an umbrella. <laughs> Thanks. <Yeah. laughs> uh, good thing I only live a few blocks away from the house, from the church here. John the Apostle, transformed by Christ, the son of thunder, he's now the apostle of love, and yet not at the expense of truth. And discernment is so badly needed because I do believe spiritual deception is just going to continue to grow. And it's deceiving. It's deceptive. It's not just blown out in your face. Hey, you want to worship Satan? You know, come and worship Satan with me. It's not that. It's anything that's like Jesus and something else. Be careful, folks. 
And so we have the closing, verse 12. Having many things to write to you, I do not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. I could just imagine if John was here today and he was writing this, he'd say, having many things to write to you, I do not wish to do so with text and email. I want to talk to you face to face. Not even a Zoom meeting. I just want to see your face, you know. There's a truth to that. There's a, there's a reality to that and a benefit to that. And I think speaking face to face is very important. I'm blessed when you come to church. I'm not counting heads or like, oh, it doesn't, it's not like it makes me feel like, okay, I've, you're, uh, I can't think of the word, where you're, you're validating me. You're not, it's not, you're, you being here isn't validating me, okay? I would just preach here if my wife was the only one. And she'd have to come, so she'd be here and, you know, you needed to. <laughs> <laughs> we're here to bring joy to one another. You know, we're here to we're here to express God's love to one another. We're here to share, hey, this is what the Lord did in my life this week. I just want to tell you how it impacted me. Hey, what what has he done in your life today or this week? And and we, we encourage one another. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. We, you know, we're 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 to we're to be there. That's what the body of Christ is. And so, you know, this was a tough time when we had to do our shutdown. It was very tough. And I don't think there was a single pastor that didn't struggle. What do we do? And, you know, I don't think I necessarily made all the right choices in what I did. What I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think I did necessarily. Um, I've learned from the experience, I can tell you that much. Um, but the blessing of just coming together and encouraging one another. And, you know, your being here. It makes our joy complete. It really does. Finally, verse 13. I think I said there was 21 verses in John 12. That was a different Bible. That's just this one. (laughs) (laughs) I must have been reading the uh, uh, Watchtower version. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. And again, this could be literally... His, her nieces and nephews, uh, or it could be another church and church members and the sister church, they greet one another. But it just, it's just a closing. I don't know what to say about it other than you just see the love and the fellowship of believers. You know, I, I, can, I can, and I have, I've talked to the different pastors here in town, and they love the Lord. They might be a little bit different in how they approach things. They might, you know, their, their style of ministry might be a little bit different, but I don't doubt their salvation. And so I can fellowship with other people. But again, we have to be careful. We don't want to partner with anything that's going to take away from Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why don't you stand up? Let's go, Lord, in prayer.